0: Are you searching for a meaningful way to further your career in international development? As you set new goals for 2021 and beyond, consider Seton Hall University's Executive Graduate Program in International Affairs. Attending a webinar is the perfect way to learn how you can customize your studies by specializing your research in areas such as global health security, conflict management, and more. As a graduate candidate, you would receive access to one-on-one faculty mentorship, career workshops, international seminars, and discussions with global leaders on campus at the UN headquarters in New York and in Washington, D.C. And the program is flexible. You can study full-time or part-time and online or on campus in New Jersey, just 14 miles from New York City. To learn more or sign up for a webinar, click the link in our episode description.
1: Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Filion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, the newly
0: arrived American ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, hits the ground sprinting as she assumes the presidency of the Security Council
1: in March. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them.
2: I'm particularly looking forward to our presidency of the Security Council in March. That's Monday. Uh, So I've not only had to hit the ground running, I'm actually hitting the ground sprinting.
0: Those were some of Linda Thomas-Greenfield's first official words to reporters when she arrived at Turtle Bay on February 25th, just after she presented her credentials to UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Thomas-Greenfield's nomination was briefly stalled by Senator Ted Cruz, who was concerned about a speech she gave in 2019 at a Chinese-funded institute at Savannah State University. She was finally confirmed by the U.S. Senate in the last week of February as U.N. ambassador. So hitting the ground sprinting is the appropriate way to describe her leading the Security Council just a few days after arriving in New York City.
2: I've had the opportunity in a marathon uh, three days to meet with all of the members of the Security Council so that I could be ready to uh, start this morning.
1: Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield has a lot on her plate right now. She's responsible for implementing President Biden's America is back policy at the UN. That means rebuilding relationships with allies and re-engaging with UN entities the US left over the last four years. And that's also while leading the mission of the world's most powerful country at the UN.
0: Many UN observers are enthusiastic about the US's renewed engagement at the UN and with many parts of the world. Peter Yao is president of the Better World Campaign and senior vice president at the United Nations Foundation. He thinks the task ahead of Ambassador Thomas Greenfield and her staff is not to be underestimated.
3: I think that coming out of the past four years when engagement with the U.N. and multilaterally was downplayed and that sometimes the U.S. withdrew from key U.N. agencies and didn't want to work with the U.N., I think that the Biden-Harris administration is going to return with an element of humility as well as appreciation. Humility for the fact that for the past four years the U.S. has been less present and it's sometimes quite unhelpful at the U.N. and, and in multilateral contexts And so we need to recognize that as we re-engage. And appreciation for the fact that many other member states stepped up and advanced key human rights and development and humanitarian priorities while the U.S. was not playing a helpful role. And including, for instance, on LGBTQ rights as well as sexual and reproductive health and rights. In both instances, there was a lot of other countries that stepped in to fill the breach caused by the U.S. departure. I think that the Biden administration will submit its budget to Congress sometime in the April-May timeframe, and that will be the moment in which they can include money for payment of the $1.1 billion in arrears that we currently owe. Most of it's for UN peacekeeping. And full funding for the UN moving forward. And then it's up to the administration together with you know Americans to work with Congress to actually appropriate the money.
1: The US is prioritizing women's rights in March, especially because the annual meeting of the Commission on the Status of Women takes place from March 15th through the 26th. March 8th is also International
2: Women's Day. March is Women's History Month. And we're proud to be co-sponsoring an ARIA formula meeting with Ireland, Mexico, Kenya, and Tunisia to call uh, call attention to the work that remains to be achieved on gender equity around the world. We will demand accountability for the rampant sexual exploitation and abuse that has increased during this pandemic. And we will complement the work of the UN Commission on the Status of Women. We will pay special attention to this year's topic focus, insisting upon women's full and effective participation and decision-making in public life.
0: In March, the U.S. is also focusing on conflict-induced hunger and starvation and will hold an open debate on food security on March 11th. The Security Council will also keep a close watch on Myanmar after the official government was deposed last month an uncertainty about the future of democracy in the country remains. Ambassador Thomas Greenfield said during her meeting with reporters on March 1st that she's already discussed the situation in Myanmar with every single Security Council member.
1: The U.S. envoy also said she'll follow the situation in Ethiopia closely, with violence continuing in the Tigray region and the U.S. documenting atrocities there. We'll take a quick break, but stay tuned. After, we'll get to know more about the ambassador with a local reporter, Mark Ballard, and a former colleague, retired ambassador, Ruth A. Davis.
0: Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. Linda Thomas-Greenfield's story begins in America's segregated South, in the small city of Baker, Louisiana, just outside of Baton Rouge, the state's capital.
4: Baker is a small community. It's kind of a suburb of Baton Rouge, on the northern edge of Baton Rouge.
1: Mark Ballard is a reporter for The Advocate, Louisiana's largest daily newspaper in Baton Rouge. Is written an extensive profile of Ambassador Thomas Greenfield and talked to many of her friends and family.
4: It sits next to Scotlandville, which is another community within the city, though, that was an African-American-dominated city. And it's where Southern University is located. And uh, it kind of expanded into Baker, where she lived. And at the time, Baker was really just a tiny couple of stores along the highway. And back in 1950, it started to grow very big. And then it was a suburb for Baton Rouge. It remains a suburb of Baton Rouge, but it has uh, become a uh, predominantly African-American suburb. She grew up during the time when it was was very segregated. She was unable to uh, go to the Baker High School. So she went to the Black High School, which was in Zachary, maybe 15 miles away. And she was in the the last class that graduated from that segregated high school. In her senior year, it became desegregated, but it didn't become de facto desegregated until after she left. So that was the kind of atmosphere, that's what Baker was like at the time.
0: Her family was large, and neither of her parents went to college.
4: So she's the oldest of the eight kids. All of the eight kids in the Baton Rouge area are prominent citizens, you know, and doing good jobs and, you know, and are respected in the community. A large part of this comes from the family that she grew up in, which was very family oriented. And uh, it's also uh, very uh, religious. They were very much into uh, the church that they went to. And so part of being the family oriented, at least in Louisiana, is that uh, food is a very important part of the society. It's what we do, and we have meals here that last for hours upon hours. And even you know the cooking of it, everybody comes together and they're talking while they're doing the cooking. And then everybody sits down. It's uh, long conversations and and good visiting, and that is part of our culture in Louisiana, and that is part of the culture that I am told that she brings to uh, the diplomacy, of uh, basically, you know, cooking for folks and, you know, sharing a meal.
1: She calls it gumbo diplomacy, but we'll come back to this later. Her hyphenated name comes from her marriage to Lafayette-Greenfield, and nowadays, members of the Thomas family are prominent in the Baton Rouge community in fields like education, law enforcement, and health care but their success was not without struggle. When she entered Louisiana
0: State University in Baton Rouge, Linda Thomas was part of one of the first cohorts of African-American students accepted at the school. At the time, there were members of the Ku Klux Klan in the student body. While this was obviously challenging, Mark Ballard thinks it helped build her character as a diplomat.
4: It was kind of a difficult time but also a time that required a whole lot of, I guess, diplomacy. Is that the right word? (laughs) A lot of diplomacy to get through because she was uh, very much the minority when she was at LSU. And she was very much in a particular bubble when she was in the segregated Baker, and segregated Louisiana of the 1960s and early 1970s.
1: Her time at LSU was also when she broadened her horizons.
4: Uh, There was also that LSU had uh, attracted a number of, of Black students from other countries. And so she kind of got involved in the international community. I was told that, uh, that I think the club was called Harambee, but it was basically all the Black people on campus had joined in a club. And, you know, about half of them came from different countries. And I think there was part of that international flavor to it all.
0: While her time at LSU was transformative, when she left, she didn't look back.
4: She made an interesting uh, comment when she was given an award by Louisiana Public Broadcasting in which that she said when she left Louisiana, and I guess this would have, she would have been 21 or 22 when she did, that she was just putting, you know, Louisiana in a rearview mirror. This is not where she wanted to grow old, build a family. It was, uh, you know, all of these kind of things. So she, when she left Louisiana, she was, you know, that was it. She was finished with it.
1: She then went to the University of Wisconsin, where she graduated with a master's degree in public administration in 1975 and entered the State Department in 1982. That's where she met Ambassador Ruth A. Davis, her mentor. Ambassador Davis has also spent her career in the State Department and was the first woman of color to be appointed as Director General of the Foreign Service in 2001. They're very close. I've
5: known her for more than 20 years. I frankly don't remember exactly when I met her, but I watched her career as she advanced from the junior to the senior levels of the State Department. I served as a mentor for her, and I recommended her for the position of Deputy Assistant Secretary for African Affairs. We worked closely together. And speaking of being her mentor, I would like to say that I was just moved to tears because on the day that President Biden announced her as his nominee, She took the time to send me an email to say thank you very much for having been my mentor, from which I benefited greatly. That really touched me, and that really said something about Linda, because she is a very, very thoughtful person.
0: Ambassador Thomas Greenfield began her career abroad in Rwanda during the genocide and was eventually posted in such countries as Liberia, Pakistan, Kenya, Nigeria, and Jamaica. She also has multilateral experience, having worked at the U.S. Mission to U.N. organizations in Geneva, Switzerland. Ambassador Davis, who is now retired, says Ambassador Thomas Greenfield's professionalism stood out wherever she worked.
5: She really was known for how brilliant she is and how well she commanded the skills and the knowledge required to be an effective diplomat. She was known for her compassion and her kindness. She was also known for being committed to democracy, good governance, human rights, and anti-corruption. She was extremely extremely well respected in the Bureau of African Affairs and in the State Department in general.
1: But her Southern touch, especially her cooking, is what stood out. She calls it gumbo diplomacy. Wherever she was posted, she was known for her food and hospitality. Here's Mark Ballard.
4: She has her basic uh, Creole type of cooking that... Everybody down here knows you learn it as a child, it never leaves you. But because she has been in other places that she was able to kind of bring in some of that culinary art and then take in additional ingredients and cooking techniques from some of the places that she had visited. And one man had been there for Thanksgiving in Liberia and talked about that the greens on the table were from Liberia. It was cooked in a Liberian way, but there was also an etouffee on the table, and there was also, you know, stuffed birds and all of that sort of thing. So it was kind of a mixture of all of that. It was said that for years that uh, you can cause fights down here when you argue about uh, things like, uh, you know, what's the proper red bean for red beans and rice, you know. And she had a specific one. And uh, she always asked for it uh, when anybody was coming from the States to bring it with them so that she would have it wherever she happened to be. It's that kind of culture and also the fact that apparently that she actually did the cooking herself. I picture diplomats in tuxedos and being, you know, stuffy. But you lose that when you're standing around the kitchen chopping something for some gumbo that's being made.
0: Ambassador Davis has also enjoyed Ambassador Thomas Greenfield's gumbo diplomacy. She thinks it's very effective.
5: Linda believes in people-to-people diplomacy and will most certainly utilize her interpersonal skills to gain allies and support for U.S. positions in the U.N. The job of the U.N. ambassador is to... State U.S. positions on issues and try to find common ground among members of the Security Council. The degree of her success depends on a number of things, including the national interest of her interlocutors. But Linda has spoken of gumbo diplomacy, winning friends and cooperation for the US through hospitality and the use of her great interpersonal skills. I think that Linda will prove to be an able promoter and negotiator for US interests. And I agree with Senator Menendez when he says, that our country is lucky that Linda has agreed to return to public service.
1: Ambassador Davis was referring to Senator Bob Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey who also chairs the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He said that during her confirmation hearing in January. Peter Yeo also believes that Thomas Greenfield's style is going to work at the UN.
3: I think gumbo diplomacy works wherever she can get her kitchen together and (laughs) invite diplomats over to make gumbo. You know, I think what's exciting when you hear her describe gumbo diplomacy is that it's not only the meal that's being served, but her invitation to her guests to help her make the meal. And it's in that more informal process of chopping and cooking and that you really get to know people and have an opportunity to break down barriers. So I do think global diplomacy works in New York as well as in that sort of bilateral context. You know, and I think it's also important to remember that when you're US ambassador to Liberia, you're spending a lot of time dealing with the other members of the diplomatic community in that particular country to align on priorities Uh, And to um, make sure that everybody is singing from the same song sheet, including with the Liberian government um, and whatever posts she was in. So I think gumbo diplomacy works in Turtle Bay as, as well as it works in Liberia.
0: Ambassador Thomas Greenfield's appointment is good news for many diplomats at the U.N. who have hoped for renewed U.S. engagement in Africa. She was Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs from 2013 to 2017. But her broader experience is not to be underestimated, Ambassador Davis says.
5: I'd like to point out that while Linda is specialized in African affairs, she also has a broad background, including academic work, Uh, foreign service assignments in various parts of the world, including Pakistan, Switzerland, and Jamaica. And she has worked on refugee population and migration issues that cover the entire world. So she has a really broad background. Having said that, I would say that her specialization in Africa gives her a unique view of the developing world and an insight into all the important multilateral issues that demand world attention and cooperation. Issues such as climate change, human rights, dealing with and containing violent extremism and terrorist activities and issues involving trade and commerce, so forth and so on. So she is very specialized in African affairs, and she will bring a great deal of knowledge to it. And that will be very important for the U.S. government, I think.
1: Peter Yeo of the UN Foundation thinks that Thomas Greenfield's extensive experience in the U.S. foreign service across the world is solid preparation for the UN.
3: Linda Thomas Greenfield was a very thoughtful choice to be uh, ambassador to the UN, in part because unlike most of U.S. ambassadors to the U.N., she's actually seen the U.N. at work. She saw the U.N. at work in Geneva when she served at the U.S. mission there to the U.N. agencies. And so she knows the sort of normative work that the U.N. does and how important the U.N.'s normative and standard setting work is. And then, of course, she's seen the U.N. at work in Africa as an ambassador to Liberia in her other posts in Africa and as an assistant secretary state for Africa. So she knows how the UN works, how to work effectively within the UN system, and she knows the UN pros and cons.
0: Ambassador Davis has also experienced many obstacles because of her race throughout her career. So she's thrilled to see her mentee appointed to one of the most prestigious diplomatic posts. She also welcomes the Biden administration's broader commitment to African-American diplomats. We
5: are really very excited about this new administration and about how much emphasis the Secretary of State has put on diversity and inclusion. He has just recently Issued a proclamation, I'd say, in the State Department that talked about the importance of African American ambassadors in diplomacy and talked about the importance of inclusion and diversity in the State Department.
0: That's it for our show. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent, women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulce Limbach is our editor, Ivana Ramirez is our intern, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear.
1: A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And PassBlue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to Washington's new approach to the UN. For day to day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to PassBlue.com.
0: PassBlue's in depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Past Blue's website and click Donate.
1: Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.